Welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. This is John Murphy, and it's my pleasure to welcome as our special guest for this podcast, Dr. Marie Chetta. Dr. Chetta is a recognized scientist in her own right, but she's also the Chief Scientific Officer of the California Institute for Regenerative Medicine, or with an organization which is commonly referred to as CIRM. Dr. Chetta joins us today by a telephone from California. Dr. Chetta, welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. Thank you. So a place to start this discussion is perhaps for you to uh, take a few moments and just explain to us what CIRM is and what your mission is. So CIRM was initiated by the voters of California through a proposition. And in California, propositions are citizen-initiated legislation. So when the voters of California put us into existence, uh, again, at a time when the voters of California were I think quite angry at President Bush's restrictions on human embryonic stem cell funding. They gave us the ability to raise $3 billion in bonds over a 10-year period specifically to fund stem cell research and regenerative medicine research. And our mission statement really is quite aggressive, that in this relatively short time period, we will develop real cures for diseases using stem cells or stem cell-based research, uh, diseases that don't have good options for patients. In addition, the agency also funds training in the state in a big way and through undergraduate all the way up through postdoc level and new faculty awards. And 10% of the funds for CIRM were set aside for bricks and mortar. So we've also had a competitive round of buildings and about 10 new buildings are being made specifically for stem cell researchers to come together in a multidisciplinary way in one facility around the state. So when you talk about regenerative medicine, you are specifically interested in cellular therapies, whereas some other scientists also have interest in other areas like tissue engineering. So I gather that the stem cell therapies, that's where your principal focus is? It is, although that's really evolved, and we've encompassed a lot more in our view of regenerative medicine. Basically, the way this agency runs is you use whatever works, and we've certainly funded a lot of tissue engineering. We've funded tools and technologies that are important adjuncts to therapy, for example, new techniques in imaging to follow stem cells after transplantation. And I should say that historically, people assumed that we were a human embryonic stem cell agency. But that's an artifact of the time, and the field really changes very rapidly, as you know, and we have opened up our competitive funding rounds to adult stem cells, to induced pluripotent stem cells, to new lines, and, um, and again, to a lot of these other important areas that are critical for translating stem cell biology. And in fact, we're also accepting applications now for scientists who want to develop drugs or biologic therapies as long as stem cells are the center piece assay on which the drugs are developed. So you mentioned the subject embryonic stem cells, and I know there are perhaps some of your colleagues and others that I've spoken to that uh, believe that there are many opportunities to advance uh, therapies that don't necessarily require embryonic stem cells. Would uh, you support that hypothesis? 
I think there are many therapies that won't require use of human embryonic stem cells, but in terms of the state of the science and in terms of the state of clinical medicine right now, the research is really a continuum. We really need to do in parallel work on adult stem cells, human embryonic stem cells, iPS cells, to understand which option is optimal in which setting. And there's certainly, you know, brand new uses of adult stem cells that we haven't anticipated and, and should push on. But I can think of right now some applications where for biologic and or financial reasons, adult stem cells just won't do the trick and we're really going to have to rely on human embryonic stem cells to make master banks for the kinds of therapies people are envisioning. Might so, you share a couple of examples in that regard? For example, if you wanted, you have options. If you wanted to be replacing neurons in the brain, for example, and we won't even pick a disease, we, we know that there are commercial entities out there that are doing phase one clinical trial with fetal-derived neural stem cells. And these are, by definition, adult stem cells because they undergo proliferative senescence. They will stop proliferating after a while. Now, if, if your application is for an uncommon disease, then growing up a master cell bank that's only useful for 40 patients is an okay business plan, and then you'd have to go up and grow up another master cell bank, which would have to be qualified with the FDA. Again, each master bank has to be qualified. But if you're trying to develop a neuron therapy for an incredibly common disease, it just doesn't make sense to be using adult stem cell sources. You'd really want to expand human embryonic stem cells in their fortunately, relatively unlimited way, and then differentiate master banks from that enormous proliferation that they are able to undergo. And so for practical reasons, the ability to expand the cells really, again, in an unlimited way if they're handled properly is going to make these therapies practical from a business standpoint as well as a biologic standpoint. So... Again, you know, people will say that, well, if we have iPS cells, which are these induced pluripotent cells that are embryonic stem cell-like, then we won't have to necessarily go to embryos as the source of human embryonic stem cells. That may well be the case. Um, for now, the iPS cells seem to look, smell, act very much like human embryonic stem cells, but we're still at the beginning of the game in terms of knowing the heterogeneity of how they'll act when you try to push them towards the cell that you want to use in a therapy. So there's a lot more work that needs to be done is basically what you're saying. Lots more work is being done. The field, yes, <laughs> lots more work needs to be done, but the field is really moving quickly. So you, you mentioned people making money, and I don't know that everybody recognizes that if you're going to have uh, therapeutic procedures that are uh, available to the mass population, there has to be some business motive, some profit uh, motive in, in the course of implementing that. And I presume as you go forward with the science, you're also looking at uh, some of these delivery issues and business models as well. Well, yes, I'm not an expert in this, but I'll, I'll tell you that there is 
very little investment in regenerative medicine in terms of venture capital in California and I think generally around the country. People are waiting this out. Our approach has been to say that we're funding this usual translational valley of death. We're getting potential candidates developed with our uh, grant money and and the research that we sponsor so that it gets to a point where there's good proof of concept and we hope that venture capital will come in. In terms of CIRMs generating a profit from things that we fund, that's, that's a little unlikely to happen. We have published IP policies that allow the investigators to hold the intellectual property. And only when a product developed with our money becomes a wild commercial success would money return to the state. Now, that being said, Mr. Klein, Bob Klein, who wrote Proposition 71, was very forward-looking in understanding that any of these new cell therapies were, were likely to be very expensive, and access to them for patients would be problematic. So our legislation also contains a provision that if our investigators do develop a cell-based therapy, with CIRM money, they must work with the state to develop an access plan for patients who are underinsured or not insured in the state of California. But we do not have any reach in to the marketing that would go on outside the state of California. So I, I understand the strategy you've just described. And I, when I asked the question, I was thinking about the, the, the the traditional discussion about the very simplistic cell therapy where you take a patient's cells, you manipulate them in the operating room, and you re-inject them into the patient. And while that's a very simplistic cell therapy, it's one in which, uh, if you ask from a business perspective, uh, where's where's the opportunity to have a, a, a profit margin? Yeah, that's a problem. And what I've seen, mostly not with applications crossing my desk, but as I go out um, to meetings and things, is that the clinical trials that are developing uh, around these autologous therapies, minimally manipulated autologous cells, are usually being developed with a novel device, and the device is, is a major part of the business model. So a better, faster way to centrifuge, separate, deliver cells is what a lot of the companies are doing. Agreed. So the, the answer is there's a whole range of uh, strategies and, and business models depending on the science and the clinical approach that's involved. Right, exactly. So if we look forward and you've uh, shared with us some uh, exciting ideas, uh, what do you think are the early wins, or potential early wins in terms of, uh, of cell-based therapies that can you know reach the general population of patients. Yeah, so I'll I'll say right off the bat that this is opinion, and if you asked other scientists uh, in my position what their opinion is, you might get a very different answer. So first off, we know what the first phase one approved, FDA approved trial is for a pluripotent stem cell-derived cell therapy, and that's Geron's now approved human embryonic stem cell-derived pre-oligodendrocyte for spinal cord injury. So they are now, I believe, starting just to enroll patients who have acutely been injured and have 
spinal cord injuries at the level, at a thoracic level in the middle of their back. And their plan is to inject cells within a relatively short period of time that are derived from human embryonic stem cells but are pushed down to become what we call oligodendrocytes, the cells that wrap around neurons and protect them into these patients. And so that's the first approved human embryonic stem cell-derived trial in the U.S. But what I'm seeing that I think is very well developed and interesting are therapies in which the eye would be the target. So a good number of people have terrible vision problems from macular degeneration and other diseases, and macular degeneration being an incredibly common one in older folks. So there are quite a number of groups that have generated retinal pigment epithelial cells from human embryonic stem cells, and these cells are almost miraculously like the original RPE cells in that when you look at them in a dish, they polarize, that means they face the same way when they attach to a matrix as they would normally, and they function just like these cells do, which is to chew up the shed segments, uh, outer rod segments in the eye, so they're what we call phagocytic, and they have the right kind of morphology and cell structure. And in animal models, as much as you can test vision in animal models, they actually do appear to restore sight. So the other thing that's appealing about this as a up-and-coming therapy, besides the fact that the cells look so good, and I'll come back to that in a second, is that the eye is a very safe place, probably, to be delivering these kinds of cells. Because remember, we can look in directly and see for any abnormal growth, for example. And there's also wonderful imaging techniques that can give you functional information about the grafts without having to do surgery. So you can just shine light onto your graft and get a readout of redox potential, for example. So I mentioned that there's two reasons that this seems to me to be something we're going to see pretty soon. Um, part of it is that the cell is so great, and the other is the site. The cell is so great part is something that's proving more difficult than we anticipated. So scientists can generate pretty much any kind of cell that you would want to use for a transplant therapy. But in many cases, the cell that they're generating doesn't quite have the adult type of function that you'd want it to have in order to repair the disease process. The cells are fairly immature. So that last step of pushing them to be terminally differentiated has proven quite hard in areas like heart cells and liver cells and pancreatic beta cells, for example. So you've uh, suggested that uh, this is one of the, the possible early wins in terms of eye therapy. What, mm -hmm. what time frame might we see some clinical trials for that? Well, I'm guessing that we'll see it within the next few years. And Part of this is just based on following the literature, but also CIRM just uh, put out its very first disease team request for applications, and 
we challenged the investigators to come up with a plan that would get them to a phase one clinical trial within four years. And the plan had to, has to look feasible to make it through our review process. And these grants are in review now. So the I was a very common one where I saw a feasible plan. And there are others as well, but I, you know, I think it's one that people are kind of surprised about because they don't necessarily think of human embryonic stem cells as curing blindness. And so if we let your crystal ball go a little further downstream, what, what are some other potential therapies that uh, might be following that? Well, I do think that the pancreatic beta cells are fairly well developed. And the problem there is not so much the cells, but it's an engineering problem. And most of the good work on, on these, a lot of the good work, has been done in a commercial entity called NovoCell in San Diego. And we have funded NovoCell in some of this work. And they've used human embryonic stem cells as a source of beta cells that would replace the lost cells in patients with type 1 diabetes, for example. But in this case, their development of the beta cells does not guarantee the absence of some undifferentiated human embryonic stem cells. And so that's a good reason to try to put the cells in a capsule so that if there was abnormal growth, you, it would be something you could pull out. But also they're finding that the maturity of the cells to really function to regulate glucose requires that they incubate in the body for a while. So another reason for encapsulating them to mature. So I, I know that there are a number of companies working on various engineering strategies to develop capsules that protect the cells from the patient and the patient from the cells. And I'm hoping that those will mature enough as fast as the cell biology is maturing. I also think that we're going to see a lot of adult stem cell therapies for diseases where we're not expecting the cells to differentiate and replace tissue, but rather to protect tissue. So an example of this one is a trial that's ongoing at the federal level for multiple sclerosis, where some clinical observations of patients who were given their own bone marrow cells, bone marrow stem cells, showed that the disease was really slowed in its progression. And so now the idea is that the, the cells are providing sort of a protective, a chemical protection um, against degeneration, even though they're not generating new neurons. And those kinds of therapies, I think we're going to be seeing across the board. And they may be embryonic stem cell or adult stem cells, but these sort of protective therapies for anything from stroke to degenerative diseases of the brain to degenerative diseases of the muscles and bony system and even of the heart. Very interesting. Do you envision the day when there'll be cell banks, like there's blood banks that where various types of cells will be available for a variety of therapeutic procedures? Absolutely. No question. You know, there are already, of course, commercial and public cord blood banks, and cord blood is increasingly used for more than just bone marrow transplant kinds of applications. But that's exactly what 
commercial entities who find a cell with disease-modifying activity are going to have to do. So if we're not using our own cells, then we will require banks of cells that are sort of immunologically diverse enough to cover a large population because you, you, you're wanting to not have to use a huge amount of immunosuppression for these therapies since that's problematic. And that's another important area of research, I should say. So what's your, your estimate of how many different cell lines do you need to work the immunosuppression issue or to oh. minimize it? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I've, I've, I've heard I, five or 6,000. Is that, is that the right oh, order of magnitude? Well, well, that would be too many, I think. So to answer that question more directly, you'd need to call someone like Glenn Stacy, who runs the stem cell bank at, in the UK at the MRC. And they, they did a, a calculation, and I think it was more like less than 200 lines um, okay. that would be needed to cover at least the major histocompatibility differences. Mm -hmm. yeah. Very interesting. Dr. Chetta, you had mentioned earlier about the initiation of CIRM was uh, around the uh, unhappiness with President Bush's policy on embryonic stem cell research. Uh, I know that uh, President Obama has taken a different position on this. Uh, what effects that had on the, the science and the policies in this regard? Well, we were certainly delighted to see a lifting of some of the restrictions. The major feature of what President Obama's executive order would do if it goes through in the way it was put out for public comment would be to allow researchers around the country who are applying for NIH grants to use a wider range of cell lines that are now out there and available to them. However, what people don't really understand is that NIH-funded investigators are still not going to be able to use federal dollars to derive new lines from embryo sources. And the current executive order would also not allow somatic cell nuclear transfer and even parthenogenesis to be studied with federal dollars. There's also some question about how the provenance of these various lines is going to be vetted by by the NIH, and, and we don't know where that's going to fall out yet because the public comments are now under consideration. So I think overall there's greater flexibility for scientists applying to the NIH who are interested in working with embryonic stem cell lines. It won't make a whole lot of difference in California because we the horse was already out of the barn here. But there, there are still fundamental gaps in the necessary research in this area that will not be allowable under NIH funding, which I think is, from my perspective, they took a couple giant steps in and left a couple giant steps out. So the original mission and mandate of CIRM uh, still stands in terms of the opportunity to study some of these important areas. I think that's right. And if anything, our foundation of regenerative medicine research that's been established in the last couple of years allows California scientists to be competing at the NIH level very well because you know, they've had access to resources and materials and money that 
non-California scientists have been had. But the other reason I think CIRM is such a vital need is that we're targeting major translational initiatives in the next few years. And that's something that, as a percentage of the focus at NIH, hasn't been there. So we'll, we're really pushing an aggressive translational agenda. And, of course, that's important. To, uh, otherwise, it's uh, never be available to the, uh, to the customer or to the patient in this particular right. case. So we have to, you know, we know that we are going to fund some disease teams, for example, that are fairly high risk in, in terms of the product will not prove to be clinically useful and the research necessary to show safety and utility is exactly where we're putting our investment. But on the other hand, if no one takes risks in a calculated and, and safe way, risks in a safe way sounds funny, but that's what we're trying to do, then the therapies will take way too long to develop for a lot of patients who need therapies now. So that's, that's what the balancing act is that we have to do, is to continue the funding of fundamental basic research also pushing on the most promising clinical stem cell applications to get them optimally prepared for the clinic in real time in just the next couple of years. Now you'd be commended for your uh, your vision and your strategy in, in getting there. You had mentioned that the, um, the amount of money that's being invested, but how does that translate into projects? I mean, there must be hundreds of mm. projects that you've funded. Yeah. So I think there are over 200 labs now funded by us. The numbers change all the time, so I encourage people who are curious about it to go on our website, www.cirm.ca.gov, and we list all of the grants that we fund, and there's a public summary that gives an abstract in lay terms of what the work is about. But there are hundreds of grants, and when you start to look at the trainees, there's many hundreds of people being funded through CIRM. And we just recently hit our 300th paper, which we're very happy about considering the short time that we've been in existence. So, yeah. Very good. Uh, Dr. Chetta, we appreciate you taking the time to join us in California today. And uh, we uh, will list on the podcast website, the, your website, so the listeners can follow up in any particular details they're interested in. I'd like to uh, remind our listeners that we welcome suggestions in terms of podcasts. You can reach us at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. I also remind you that we cannot diagnose problems by the Internet. And as we conclude, I'd like to thank the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine that sponsors these podcasts. And I look forward to our listeners joining us again in two weeks for another exciting interview. Thank you and best wishes.